everybody. How you doing? And welcome to episode number 102 of the John Riley Project. It is January 7th, 2020. And I'm so pleased to have as my guest, Fernando Garcia. Yes, yes. How are you, Fernando? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, you know, Fernando, just a quick intro. You're Mm -hmm. a candidate for United States Congress from the 53rd District, a resident of Golden Hills, father, a green entrepreneur, an Aztec alum, you know, Aztec for life. That's right. um, Criminal justice major. And uh, man, you're running for Congress. Yes, yes. That's (laughs) huge. Yeah, it's very exciting. And, uh, you know, it's kind of an honor to do it. So, Mm -hmm. you know, as a citizen of this country, it... I want to take part in the process, and um, you know it's uh, it's been an experience so far. So right on, happy to do it. So you know, I just thanks for joining us. Oh, good. thanks for having me. You know, because this this podcast, I like to think of it as a community forum. Mm-hmm. You know, we could talk about issues. You know, the kind of the the news of the day. Sure. Um, but you know, as a candidate for Congress, I mean, there's a million directions we can go. Yes. Uh, but let's let's learn more about you. Sure. So tell me a little more about your backstory. You know, wh- where you grew up and what kind of led you up to this point. Yeah. So I, I grew up in a suburb of uh, LA County. I grew up in a city called. Walmart. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, very middle class upbringing, my mom and dad, uh, older brother, younger sister, um, and, uh, you know, just kind of had the American dream kind of childhood, you know, um, I love where I grew up, uh, went to good high school, good public school, mm-hmm. um, had the opportunity to go to San Diego State. Um, so after college, uh, went to San Diego State, uh, graduated, um, you know, uh, became a, you know, with a criminal justice major, um, stayed out here in San Diego, um, got into financial services, uh, moved back to L.A., um, and then also Orange County area, lived there um, for about a good, you know, 12, 13 years, and then uh, moved back down to San Diego about two years ago. So Good. Um, but, <laughs> it's uh, nice here. Yes, yes. So <laughs> that's kind of in terms of where, you know, so I'm a Southern California native through right and through. I've, I've, sure. This is the only place I've ever lived. So Right on. Um, and, uh, but, you know, I, I spent about 15 years in financial services after mm-hmm. I graduated um, college. And, uh, you know, I was a certified financial planner. I was a certified employee benefit specialist. I spent a lot of time um, dealing with group plans. So, you know, like 401ks, 403bs. So, you know, I have a, a big background in investments and group benefits and, Mm-hmm. You know, with that experience, people would always ask me, you know, outside of the stock market, where should I invest my money? And um, mm-hmm. and I would always come with the response, uh, anywhere where you can invest your money in yourself is usually going to give you the best rate of return. That's true. Yeah. And so, and that can mean a lot of things. That could be owning a home, uh, owning a business, more training, more education, something that makes you more valuable. Um, to the economy, those things. And one of the things I found was the opportunity to own your own energy source. So, mm. um, and I started to look into uh, solar and that's how I got into the solar business. And I've been in the solar business for about three years now and uh, started my own company. And um, so, you know, I enjoy being a green entrepreneur because not only do I get to help own, you know, homeowners uh, own their own energy source, uh, I get to help them save them, save money. And I also get to help uh, make the environment better. So it's kind of win-win for everybody. Right on. Um, yeah. You know, we've talked a lot about solar energy here on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have solar panels and yeah. two electric cars. Yeah, I saw and, that, yes. And, um, you know, so I, I dig all that new technology. Yes, I mean, yes. it's, But it's an interesting background that you have, especially to go to Congress. I mean, mm-hmm. a financial planner. Right, right. We, we could use that in Washington, D.C. <laughs> right. And, you know, we're talking about a lot of, you know, the entitlement programs. And you mm-hmm. have a background in financial planning mm-hmm. um, and all the tax benefits of that. So you'll understand mm-hmm. legislation. 
legislation related to that. Right. And then and as an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of other members of Congress sometimes get criticized because they've never done anything other than be a politician right, right. their whole life. So yeah. I think that that's an intriguing background. Yeah. You know, the, the nice thing is I understand what it takes for, to go from. You know, when I, because of my experience and my background in financial services, I, I basically left a good paying job yeah. um, to start uh, a company. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at that time, my oldest is 20 right now. He's a, he's a, a junior at Berkeley. And so um, he was finishing up his senior year. And, uh, you know, one of the big questions was I have is, well, if this business doesn't go good, how am I going to pay for tuition? Right. You know, so, so I had a lot of pressure on yeah, me yeah. and, and like a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, they, you know, they, they're maybe at a good job and there's always that fear of taking that next step. So they may have ideas that they think are good, but you know, they don't want to, they don't want to fail, you know, yeah. and because not just for themselves, but maybe for the people they care for. And so, uh, I understand, um, those fears. I understand how we can address some of those things, how we can create legislation to hopefully help uh, small business owners uh, to help people make that transition. Um, and so I think that's the experience I have. So uh, I want to be because I think there's a lot of people on the sidelines that can really help our economy, help our society. And we want to say, hey, bring your ideas forward and, uh, you know, let's push this country. Let's make it better. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's that's a very valuable experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, not only just being an entrepreneur, but literally creating a company from the ground up. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a unique (laughs) insight. Yes. You know, it's one thing for, you know, Tom Steyer or somebody just to lay down a bunch of money and start something. Right. But to really start it like from ground zero. Yeah. That's special. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I'm a big uh, advocate for the small business owner because, nice. um, you know, I, you know, I, I think that big business is is nice, but they tend to think of themselves. And um, you know, I, one of the reasons we haven't got into it, but I'm, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm an independent candidate mainly because I feel like the two parties are really kind of bought out by by a lot of corporations. Mm-hmm. A lot of the same corporations just donate to the. St- Two different, the same parties, you yeah. know, and, uh, you know, whoever wins, they, they kind of got them in their pockets. Yeah. So, um, I want to be an advocate for the small business owner, uh, you know, that, that, you know, that, uh, young person or older person or whatever stage they are in life that wants to take that leap. Uh, I want to create a tax system and a healthcare system that, um, benefits them, you know, not right. just the, the corporations and the, so I, I just think it's awesome that you're yeah. running as an independent because yeah. you and I share that same sensibility mm-hmm. because the Republicans and the Democrats are highly co-opted. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll sometimes talk, give maybe give a little lip service to the notion of small business, but their focus is on big business. Right. You know, and that's it's crazy because, you know, a lot of people, for example, will vote Republican because they want a balanced budget and they just end up getting more deficit, right? <laughs> yes. You vote Democrat because you want less war. You sometimes get more war. Yes. Right? So it's yes. kind of like you're voting for these parties and get the exact opposite. Um, and I think it's that way by design, uh, because yeah. as long as the uh, multinational corporations and the very wealthy control both parties, um, you know, we're never really going to get anywhere. Yeah, I, yeah. And I agree with you. I think it yeah. is by design because – in my opinion, the two main parties are far more similar than they are different. Yep. But the the portrayal in the media is that they're night and day. That, right. You know, <laughs> that they're polar opposites. Right. And that is not true. Yeah. Um, and, so I, I think we need more 
new perspectives. And that's why I always think in the debates, like when they have the general debates for president, I always wish there were more than two podiums. Right. Yes, yes. And what I find is that when I talk to people one on one, we agree way more and we're willing to work with each other. We're willing to compromise more uh, mm-hmm. when we just talk one on one. There's really not a lot of hatred going on, but kind of when you maybe go on Facebook or other social media or look in the, uh, you know, turn on the TV, you see a lot more division. But in reality, um, people kind of want the same thing and, you know, they kind of agree on a lot of the major issues. So um, I just think, and they're, they're kind of, they see, people are starting to see how the two party system is dividing us and Mm -hmm. they're, they're more um, willing to look outside of those parties. And if you look at the numbers, um, we have actually, in my district, we actually have more independent or what they refer to as non-party preference uh, voters than we do Republican voters. And we're creeping up on the Democrats as well. So more and more people are leaving those parties and actually going no party preference or independent. Well, I think my understanding is, is that nationwide, mm-hmm. there are more no party preference than there are Republicans or Democrats. Yes, yes, yes. But in your district, maybe slightly more Democrats slightly, than right. independent. <laughs> right, yes. But that's, that's great. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think there should be a lot of voters that are going to give you a serious look. Yeah, and, I, and that's, that's what I'm hoping. You know, I'm actually, there's actually 15 candidates in my district running, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of unheard of. I mean, you, you know, usually you might get, you know, sometimes just one, yeah. two, three, you know, it's five. But, you know, there's a lot of people running, a lot of independents running in other districts, too. In my district, I'm the actually only independent out there. So there's 11 Democrats, three Republicans, and I'm the only independent. So Well, that's good. Because <laughs> if there are 15 people, you have to differentiate yourself. Yes. But I think probably because this is Susan Davis's old seat, right? That's correct, yeah. So once a, a longtime incumbent decides to step down, mm-hmm. yeah, everyone jumps in. Yeah, the floodgates kind of opened up. Yeah. 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 So, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, um, so that's what led you to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, you said the main reason you're running is really to advocate for that small business owner. Yeah, that small business, you know, there's a, I could, uh, there's a lot of reasons I think why I'm running. Um, definitely want to advocate for that small business owner. I think small business owner are at the heart of the American economy. Yes. Um, and, you know, when you're, when you go back to the founding of our country, uh, a lot of people were farmers, right? Which is kind of the equivalent of a small business owner. They were kind of controlling their own destiny to an extent, you know? Yeah. They, and um, as we went into this industrial revolution, you know, we became more uh, wage earners and we, we were kind of more dependent upon the corporations. And they kind of do hold that o- over us um, in terms of legislation because they say, if you don't do this, you're going to lose your job. Um, <laughs> but as a small business owner, you know, you're not so concerned. It gives you more freedom. You're more in control. So that's yes. why I want to promote more and more people taking control of their of their economy, their personal economy, yes. their local economy. And so they don't have to depend upon yes. uh, big corporations for their income. Yeah. And, so. and, and that's, that's the independent streak that's that you right. have. Yes. Because I think, yeah, it's important to control your own source of income mm-hmm. to the greatest degree that you can. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my opinion, I, I think if we encourage more of that across society, yeah. we wouldn't have as many people that were maybe have their sights set so low on a minimum wage job, they right. might say, hey, I'm better than that. That's right. I can perform and, and deliver a lot more value and earn way more. Yep, absolutely. If they had the right mindset. Right. But that mindset isn't, 
it, it isn't, um, you know, the bully pulpit, you know, the, the politicians don't really push it. Right. I, you know, and I think a big part of it is obviously our educational system. You yes. Know, we, it, 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 you know, for most people that may not know it, it stems from being a, from the factory workers. You know, we it uh, you know, that's why we go. We start school at eight o'clock and we have recess and it, mm-hmm. you know, it's very similar to the way it would work in a factory. Right. Um, and so we're, we're really not pumping out entrepreneurs or free thinkers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do think that there are some things that we need to do on the educational level um, so that we are promoting people to be more independent and, um, you know, think for themselves. And, you know, also, I mean, there's a lot of things I think we need to do with education, but at the end of the day, I think part of the reason we're so adamant about looking for a job rather than uh, creating our own uh, business and other things is, is because of how the educational system has kind of developed us that way. Well, let, let's let's go down this rabbit hole of sure. education. Sure. So if you had a magic wand mm-hmm. and could could transform our education system and, you know, K through 12 or higher education, sure. what are some of the top things you would consider doing? Well, so, you know, first of all, I do believe that education should be more controlled on the local level. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm definitely somebody that believes that uh, the more that we bring control home, and closer, the more, you know, you have a say in it. Um, I think that's better for everybody. I don't think that local school districts or states should necessarily have to answer to the federal government. I think that's number one. Um, number two, I do think that in terms of trades, uh, I do think we need to have more trade training in the uh, high schools. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, especially young boys, we tend to, you know, learn differently. We're not also, we're not very much, well, not for everybody. We don't necessarily want to be in front of a chalkboard sitting down. We like to work with our hands. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so I think at a, at a young age, we need to start getting, uh, providing those opportunities, Um more trade jobs and more trade tra- training in the uh, uh, high school arena. Um, I also, my, my feelings on higher education is, you know, for example, I went to San Diego State, four years, uh, two years, you know, the standard, everybody has takes their two years of lower division, two years higher division. Mm-hmm. To me, the, the, the two years of lower division is almost like repeating high school. It you is. Know, right? You're right. You know, yeah. and, um, and so for, for me, I, I could easily wipe away my first year of college and it wouldn't lower my education level, you know, it, um, but it would have saved me uh, 25% of what I, what I totally spent on college. Yeah, so, yeah. so to me, one of the ways to lower the cost of college is let's just, let's make it a three-year degree rather than a four-year degree. Yeah. You know, and uh, we should also allow for those students who are motivated in high school uh, to take a lot of those, that one year of general ed uh, during their high school career, whether it's online or at a junior college or however it may be, so that uh, for those students who are motivated, they can finish college in two years. And if they want to get a master's, mm. they could do it in four, you know, so it'd be a total of four years if they wanted to get a bachelor's and a, and a master's. Right. Um, and we'll get them working, you know, a lot, a lot sooner. And mm-hmm. so I think there's things that we can do to save money. We can cut the waste in a lot of areas. I think mm-hmm. that's one way. Um, but, uh, but th- that's what I believe when it comes to education, that in terms of higher education, we should cut the fat. Um, in terms of high school, I think we need to um, offer more trade training. And then, you know, when you're, when you're looking from like K to eighth grade, I think, you know, we definitely need to have more control at the at the local level, the mm-hmm. city and state and county level. Right. And let them decide how they want to what works best for them, uh, because what ber- what works best in rural America may not work good in, you know, the inner city or yeah. the suburbs. So let them decide. And, right. uh, you know, th- that would be my um 
how I would approach it. Well, what's your take? Like one of the topics that's, you know, buzzing around in the, at least in the democratic debates is this notion of canceling student debt. Mm -hmm. And what's, what's your angle on that? So, you know, my, I don't think we should cancel all student debt. And the reason why is that I've had a, a lot of people who, you know, decided not, who went to, for example, they went to the military. Uh, mainly because they wanted to to have college, you know, paid for. Mm-hmm. Um, they or they worked, you know, um, a job while they, um, uh, you know, while they went to school, so they wouldn't have to take student loans. Mm-hmm. Or you know, they worked extra hard after college to pay off those student loans. And so, there's a part of me that feels like we would be in a disservice to them if we just wiped away everybody's loan. You know, it almost says like, well, why did I, why did I make those sacrifices when I could have just ran up the debt? Yeah. You know, and uh, uh, and not done that. And so, so that that's a big reason why I don't think we should just 100 percent eliminate it. Mm-hmm. Now, what I do think is I am for offering assistance, and what I mean by that is, hey, look, we have a lot of people that are um, sitting on a lot of student debt. So, there are a lot of young people who aren't um, starting families, they're not starting businesses, they're not buying homes, which are things that stimulate the economy. So, if we're gonna, so I do think we can help them. Um, some of the areas I think we could help them is one, um, we can eliminate the interest on that loan. So, for example, if we if we say, hey, you owe fifty thousand, so we'll say, hey, look. We'll, no more interest on that loan, so it's going to stay fifty thousand, and every payment you make goes down to paying the principal. You're still going to mm-hmm. pay it off, yeah. Uh, but we're not going to keep building that interest on top. So we can do something like that. We can also allow the option, uh, and one of the things I think we should do is allow the option for them to uh, BK on student loans, and and here's why: so bankruptcy, bankruptcy. Yes. Yeah. So they should have the option of bankruptcy. Um, because I'll give you an example: I can go out and run fifty thousand dollars of credit card debt on. Going out to eat, whatever I want, right? And I can I can declare bankruptcy on that and not pay it back. Now there are consequences to de- declaring that. You know, I'm going to mm-hmm. have bad credit. I'm not going to be able to do certain things for a while, right? Um, um, but I can get out from under that debt and start over. And so, and one of the things that bankruptcy does is, is it also prevents the lenders from over lending. You know, um, mm, you right, have, right, right. It's kind of like a check to them. Yes. And you have so many you have so many lenders who are willing to just give students money because they know they can't be K. They're going to have them on the hook forever. And they know they can't refinance That's it either. Right. That's right. And yeah. so, so what? Um, so it's so the lenders. You know, I mean, it's so much easier to get a student loan than, I mean, you can get a student loan for sometimes for, you know, almost a hundred thousand, very little, no income verification of any sort. Uh, just kind of watch a, a video on YouTube or some type of, um, to show that you've learned the consequences, sign off on it and they write you that check. But if you go and get a hundred thousand dollar loan for a home, they're going to verify your income. Oh, yeah, they're going to yeah, do this yeah, and that. Yeah. And, um, and so the you know the lenders are just willing to give it to you. So um, I, I think we should be able to allow BK uh, or bankruptcy for um, student loan debt. Yeah, I mean, it kind of it, you know we talked earlier about how the the current um, this current state of affairs in D.C. is to favor the large corporations. Mm-hmm. In this case, maybe the large lenders, the large banks. Right. But the system becomes rigged right. for the, in their in their favor. Right. Because the, 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 the loan is never escapable. Mm-hmm. It can't be refinanced. Mm-hmm. And they just got to sit back. And yeah. at some point, that person's going to pay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know, uh, and that to me is a simple solution. Right. You know? um, so, um, you know, I just think we need independence in there to 
bring that forward. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I know those are some good ideas. Yeah. But you know, one thing we should have done, I, I've, I neglected to ask you this sure. in the very beginning. Okay. You're, you're running for the 53rd Congressional District. Mm-hmm. And just for our listeners and viewers, describe that geography for us. So that would basically be central San Diego. So it would start from, uh, think of uh, Old Town and Golden Hills, close to downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it would go east down the 8 pretty much. So it would include things like... Uh, uh, Balboa Park, North Park, South Park, uh, Hillcrest, um, Fashion Valley, Mission Valley, College area. So it kind of goes down the eight right. uh, to La Mesa, um, half of El Cajon. And then it starts to go down south towards Bonita and uh, the west part. Uh, I'm sorry, the east part of uh, Chula Vista. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's kind of if you looked at it on a map, it kind of looks like Florida, the way I describe <laughs> it. <laughs> so, it, yeah. uh, but it's a it's a big district. Um it's kind of funny when you look at it, you go, oh, wow, that's some uh, really crazy gerrymandering. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it's yeah. like the first thing that pops out is the uh, gerrymandering issues that we have. So, yeah. And I um, bet you uh, like along the very edge, there's probably a couple little carve outs. Yes. Yes. You know, that for, yeah. for certain neighborhoods. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah we, we've talked a lot about gerrymandering in this podcast because mm-hmm. um, at the local level, um, we saw a bit of it in our city here in oh, Poway, okay. but yeah. we really saw it in our school district. Okay. The way yeah. they carved it up. And so okay. that's a big issue. Yeah. Um, and I guess it's whoever has control of the House of Representatives, mm-hmm. every census, right, right gets correct. to make the decisions. Right. Right. So, yeah, that's yeah. a tough go. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully we can change, you know, because we would long term those really those things lead to the division. You oh, know? yeah. And it prevents competition. Yeah. You know? So that's that, more rigged system. That's more of a rigged system. So yeah. we should, you know, as Americans, I always tell people that when you live in a democracy, you have to be more involved. You know, when you live in a communist society or socialist society, I mean, your kind of decisions are made for you. Mm-hmm. In, a, in a democracy, we do have to be more involved. We have to listen to different side of views. Uh, so that may mean you have to listen to CNN and Fox, you know, to kind of because, you know, <laughs> yeah. everybody's going to put their little skew on, on things. And so you want to, in order to kind of get the truth, you're going to kind of have to see things from both ends. Um, and I always tell people rather than if, if you're watching news, maybe you should read a book too. Yes. So, you know, uh, the uh, reading is uh, probably the least amount, at least biased um, um, out there. So that's what I recommend. Yeah, my angle on that is, is that every media is biased to some degree, mm-hmm. whether consciously or unconsciously. Mm-hmm. You know, ob- there's conscious, obviously, they tilt a story, but sometimes... They'll only present, you know, one side and the other side when there might be a third side or a fourth side that's not even part of the discussion. Um, And so I've always been an advocate of um, get your media from as many sources as possible and distill the truth yourself. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because like you say, you'll learn a little bit. You know, if you look CNN, Fox, Mm -hmm. you'll kind of balance it out. Yeah. so, you know, I was going through your website and mm-hmm. you have an issues section and you talk about, I think it was the first one on there, I think is healthcare, isn't right, it? Right, right. Um, so that's obviously a hot topic. Mm-hmm. Break it down for me. How do you see this going? So I think we do need a public option. You know, okay. I don't know if it necessarily needs to be a Medicare for all and not allow private, you know, private sector insurance. I do still believe that we should have uh, a private sector out there offering insurance. And if people choose to go that route, they should have the freedom to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think a public option is good. Um, 
So, and I do think it's good for small business owners because one of the issue, uh, one of the reasons people don't take that leap from leaving their employer to go and and becoming self-employed is the healthcare issue, right? So I do think that offering a a public option that's affordable is, um, will be a boom for small business. And, um, so that, that's why I'm a big believer in that. Um, I think we can, uh, you know, right now, People don't realize that healthcare is already a third of it, over a third of it is actually already paid for by the government through Medicaid or Medicare uh, type programs. Or VA. Or VA, those types of things. Um, And um, so, but, you know, I do think we need a public option, whether, you know, if those premiums need to be affordable, um, you know, we can do that. Um, You know, there's a lot of different options we can look at. It's just, I do think we can still have a public option, um, but we, but we can still have private insurance and, you know, we can still allow for businesses to help their employees who may be, um, I'll give you an example. I work, I for many years worked with, uh, with benefits. So, mm-hmm. you know, health insurance, voluntary benefits, those things. And so if you have a workforce that you say, Hey, I'm not going to provide uh, health insurance for, you know, they're going to be you know, on the public option. Mm-hmm. Then maybe you can provide like a flexible spending account or health savings account where mm-hmm. you're going to put away money for them mm-hmm. that they can then use for co-pays and things like that. So, right. um, and it's a, you know, pre-tax deduction. You can also allow the uh, employer or the employee to contribute to it um, on a pre-tax basis so that, you know, everybody's kind of involved because I do believe, I don't believe in a hundred percent free healthcare anywhere. And, and I'll tell you why. I think that uh, a lot of, a lot of our illnesses, well, one, we have our health care is expensive because we're sick. Not necessarily, right? That's the bit like that's the one issue that mm-hmm. a lot of people don't talk about. It's, it's the biggest one of the biggest issues that we're a sick country. Well, why are we sick? Well, um, a lot of it has to do with our food, uh, people are overweight, uh, bad lifestyle choices, and a lot of it's preventative, yeah, right? So, for sure. especially with with um, uh, with heart disease. So, and, and, you know, necess- you know, even providing them health care, if they're not taking care of themselves, they're going to continue to get, if they're not going to eat better, basically, if they're not going to stop smoking and drinking, um, I feel like those people who are going to continuously go to the doctor, they should still pay those co-pays. They should still pay for those prescriptions. Um, that way they're, in essence, kind of penalized or they're contributing to their lifestyle that's costing them more health care costs. Reasonable. And, right. And then yeah. that way those people who do decide to be healthier – don't go to the doctor, don't have to go to the doctor, they're not having to pay those copays and buy those prescriptions. So there's mm-hmm. an incentive to stay healthy, basically. Right. And so I think I think that copays and things like that are um, should be there to, to encourage that. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting idea because um, you brought up a really good point is that a lot of people stay in their job. Mm-hmm. Because they are clinging to that insurance, mm-hmm. and maybe they have a pre-existing condition that they can't detach from, right. or maybe you know if you get a new job, you might go ninety days without insurance, right. and then you you might have kids at home and different things. Mm-hmm. So disconnecting insurance from employers it makes a lot of sense yes. to me. Yeah. Now you know I'm not a big fan of Medicare for all myself, mm-hmm. but I always thought that if you had to transition in some way, single. Uh, um, not single payer, um, public option mm-hmm. made a little more sense. Right. Yeah. You I know. Yeah. Cause, cause then we can, can tr- we can have choice. Right. Mm-hmm. A- and you know, there, there's a lot of people, I think that, you know, some union workers that have really, really good healthcare plans. Right. And it's quite possible that a Medicare for all might be a step down for them. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. And, yeah. And one of the things too, I, I, what I, uh, I also feel that, 
uh, Congress, I really feel Congress should act, or people in Congress should actually be on the VA system. Because, ah. because I think that should be either the VA or whatever the public option is. Um, that way they are experiencing what the American public is. Yeah. Um, so um, I'm also a big believer in, hey, if, if we put all Congress uh, men and women on the VA system, I'm all for that. I think because we should have to deal with what they're dealing with. Yeah. You know? So, well. It's they have to be able to walk in the shoes of the constituents they serve. That's right. And that's the other beauty we were talking about earlier. You yeah. as a small business owner, you, you kind of get what people mm-hmm. in your district really do. Right. Yes. Um, so, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. They, should, they should be on that plan. Right. So, right. <laughs> um, let's um, yeah, there's there's a ton more issues, but mm-hmm. I, I want to jump back to something different. OK. Um in, there are 15 people running for office mm-hmm. in your district. And mm-hmm. give me a sense of how you see the race, how you're special or different sure. or you know, besides being independent, what are the things that differentiate you from the others? Well, you know, I do. I'm a, I am a believer in the green economy. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the, 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 my problem is with the um, – what they call the the green plan um, is or the green new deal. The green new deal. I'm yeah, sorry. The green yeah. new deal. <laughs> the problem is like I'm I'm 100 yeah. on board with the green economy, but mm-hmm. uh, with the with the green new deal, they also throw in some other stuff there that I don't 100 agree with all the way. But I am for the green economy, and that would include things like solar, wind, uh, but also the um, we need to uh, upgrade our infrastructure. We need to um, make our buildings and homes more energy efficient because um, uh, efficiency is also a big thing that we can do. And those are all going to uh, be accomplished by American workers, um, pr- particularly tradespeople, um, right. you know, and, um, and, and a lot of union people, too. And so my thing is because I come from that background, I understand what motivates people um, to, to go – Renewable. So the example I always give is, hey, look, I sell solar to Republicans. I sell solar <laughs> to Trump supporters. Right. Yeah, right. On. They, they, they will go solar. You yeah. Know, but even if they even if they don't necessarily 100 percent believe in climate change or anything, that that's fine. But what they do believe in is they believe in owning their own energy source. Yes. They 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 hate their power company. Yes. Right. Um, so let's speak the language that they understand. So right. we should also. So I think from. Um, you know, I do believe in climate change, but sometimes we need to change the narrative yes. um, so that we can get more people to get on the board of renewables, which is going to achieve our goal of being a cleaner environment. So, right. um, so I think we need to bring more uh, Republicans on board, but we need to change the story. And I think because I have that experience of, of in essence, selling solar to, to different types mm-hmm. of people, I can I can explain that narrative, and nobody's really talking about that. Um, and I left my my job and left that my industry, my old industry before, because I wanted to make a difference in the environment and um, and in the renewable industry. That's why I did Mm -hmm. it. Um, None of my other candidates did that, you know. Um, So I don't talk the talk. That's right. That's right. And and regardless (laughs) if I win or lose or not, I'm still in. I'm still in. Yeah. So. 
So that so that's the main difference. Well, there's just a lot of financial upside, you know, mm-hmm. to to owning your own power source. Absolutely, you know, it, um, and, and you know, heck, we we don't use a drop of gas. Oh, I mean, we, we have yep. two EVs, hundred mm-hmm. percent charged by solar. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a beautiful little system, right? Because you know, and the and the thing is, when I talk to people who understand that, it's like, hey, look, you can be your own power company. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and I'm gonna take a step back. The, a lot of people love the idea of owning their home because they don't have a landlord basically telling them what to do. That's kind of uh, the American dream, right? Yeah, yeah. That's great. But guess what? Now you can own your own energy source. You can be your own power company. Yes. You can be your own gas company. Yes. And you're not beholden to what they decide gas is today. Right. right. Is it going to be four bucks? Is it going to be three bucks? Yeah. Guess what? You've already set the price for yourself. Exactly. So, um, and I think the more that we can be in control of those things as citizens, the less we need government, which should be the point. I mean, the point of government should be to make you more efficient, more more reliant, basically. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, that's the story of renewables. Um, you know, the, the more we have renewables, um, like I said, it's, it's American jobs. Um, you know, the, the tax credit is, is, is going to be expiring at the end of 2021. Um, I do think we, you know, we, we need to um, save that. I think that's a big driving force. Uh, I love utilizing tax credits because it's basically just giving the taxpayer back their money. Right. Right. So it's really, yeah. it's almost not really costing you the, the country anything. Right. So I think we can utilize tax credits a lot um, um, for, for solar, for people making their buildings and homes more energy efficient, um, um, electric cars, all those things. So, um, so, do you ever get the sense, though, that the, the climate change conversation is is not about these practical, you know, concrete things that we're talking about? Mm-hmm. It's more, do you believe in climate change or not? Right. Are you anti-science? Or are you pro-science? <laughs> right, right. And then people want to beat each other up at that level. <laughs> right, right. Where rather than saying, all right, the science is what the science is, right. and the scientists will do that. Yeah. But we know for, for, for real that, you know, ice is melting. Right. But more importantly, we know that we can control our own power. That's right. And we can, you know, not have to, you know, go to the gas station and wait in line and that, pay four or five bucks a gallon. That's right. Because that, that is something I think everybody will get behind. Yeah. You know? And that's why I think the narrative has to change a little bit. I mean, if you believe in the science, great. I, you know, I do. If some people don't, I, I mean, that, that that's your personal choice. You know, I mm-hmm. mean, some people may disagree with my religious, you know, views and I may mm-hmm. disagree with them, but that doesn't mean that we can't agree on other things. Right. You know, so. So you have a couple of interesting competitors in your race. I, I mm-hmm. know um, the daughter of the Qualcomm founder, Erwin right. Jacobs, is, is running right. in your race. Right. I mean, what's what's she like? I'm sure you've met her. Uh, I, actually, I haven't met her yet. I'm going to meet her, but I haven't met, actually uh-huh. met her yet. I've seen a, um, you know, I I, uh, I will say this about pretty much all of my candidates is that I'm pretty sure they're nice people. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure they want to try to do the right thing. But um she her her background has given her opportunities that maybe right that's yeah, <laughs> the, for sure. the, the normal person uh didn't get well and, she worked on Obama's staff right, right pretty much right out of high like college <laughs> yeah. right? um and um right you know so she didn't really cut her teeth the way that you know me or you or other people might have done yeah. it and so we uh we, you know we you know we understand it and we have a a vested interest in these things um you know if if we fail then there's not a lot, maybe not a lot of um, places we can go, but, you know, if she fails, you know, she can go back home. You know, there's there's money waiting for her to do whatever she wants to do. That's right. Right. And uh-huh. so, um, but like I said, uh, she's probably a nice person, yeah. um, but I don't, I think she might be a little bit of out of touch. Yeah. Um, 
I think that as far as what I see on the Democrat side, Mm -hmm. they're all kind of the same. It's basically 11 people kind of preaching the same thing, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, which is to me, they're no new ideas. Let's just throw money at the problem. Right. Uh, And I'm a believer of let's throw ideas at the problem rather than money. Nice. And and let's let's look at our freedoms. You know, where where are we? uh, I'll give you an example. Um, I'm a big believer in the uh, production of hemp. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, one of the nice things that I'm not a Trump supporter, but one of the nice things he did is he did um, legalize the commercialization of hemp production right. uh, back in 2018 with the Farm Bill. Yeah. And so so I like that. You yeah. know, I think that's good. And I would even go a step further to say, hey, let's use tax credits to help farmers grow more hemp, which and which is a great carbon capture. It captures more carbon uh, four times the rate than regular trees. Right. So And it's a great um, use for plastics, um, hempcrete, all kinds of building materials that we can use. Um, um, and so we really need to develop the hemp industry the way we kind of help the solar industry. Uh, and I think it's a win-win for farmers. Hemp can grow in just about any condition, um, very little water, uh, almost no pesticides. And um, so I think it's a win-win. And I think we just need to uh, – those are things that we need to look at. Hey, how can we be more free to do those types of things? Yeah. And so um, – so, so I'm a big believer in that, that. That makes so much sense because, I mean, hemp is really big in developing textiles too, uh, right? Yep. And like rope and mm-hmm. clothing and other things. Um, but it seems like it's had this voodoo over it because of its connection to marijuana. Right. Um, but in reality, it, it, it's a great it's a great product mm-hmm. that we can develop here in America. Sure. Yep. And, um, but you sometimes wonder, you know, are the corporate powers the ones that are influencing it to make it illegal? Yeah, I, I, I do. I, yeah, the, my, my, uh, I would say yes. I mean, most of our plastics are oil-based plastics. So mm-hmm. uh, there's an incentive for uh, the fossil fuel industry to not allow that. Um, and, um, you know, there's a, you know, hemp is actually in many cases um, – it's actually stronger than steel. So, um, you know, for me, it's uh, it's just a you have these companies that don't want change, these industries that don't want change. But it's a product that's good for everybody. Yeah. You know, yeah. so I hope to see it. Uh, and, you know, the you know, I think we have a, a criminal justice system with private prisons that they kind of it's incentivized for that for us to arrest more people and put more people in jail. And yeah. um, so uh, I think by allowing us to um, grow hemp, it's going to be good for the American farmer. It's going to be good for the environment, mm-hmm. um, for the consumer. Uh, it's just a win-win. So nice. Well, you know, you just said criminal justice. Yeah, that, that's a good area for us to maybe go down because sure. that's a hot topic. Mm-hmm. It was one where it seemed like the Republicans and Democrats might actually agree on something, right. you know, or at least publicly agree. Yeah. Um, so, what's your take on what, where the system is now, and what are the changes you'd like to see? Well. I think the biggest thing is the drug war. Yeah. I think that when, when really when people are, are, are angry at um, the criminal justice system, it's really what the drug war has done. You know, longer sentences, um, you know, over, you know, uh, over policing, mm-hmm. uh, filling up our pri- – I mean, most of the prisoners are there for drug-related offenses. Right. So that's what, what's really ballooned the cost and the incarceration rate. So – I'm somebody that very much believes in the in our freedoms. So I do believe that we should end the drug war and we should start 
Uh, very similar to what we did with cannabis is we should start legalizing things, regulating it. And um, but it needs to be a process. You know, I'll, I'll give you an example mm-hmm. here in California. We didn't just make it recreational. Right. We kind of said, OK, we're going to make it medical. We're going to make it medical available. Right. Right. Which is the smart idea. I also think we need to do that with things like psychedelics. I mm-hmm. think that we should make it medically available for those people who are suffering from mental illness mm-hmm. uh, or whatever, any kind of illness. And if we feel it can help them, um, things like psilocybin and uh, MDMA and things like that. But um And then once we realize, once people realize, hey, look, we've legalized marijuana on a medical basis. The world hasn't ended yet. (laughs) You know, we're still normal. Yeah, right. right. Um, (laughs) We put it on a recreational basis. We're taxing it and everything. World hasn't ended yet. Yeah, right. So, so, okay, now let's maybe look at some other things. Let's look at, okay, psychedelics. I think that uh, we do have a mental health issue. And not saying that psychedelics are the the key to figuring everything out, but I think it's a tool that people can use. And, um, you know, if if somebody's uh, um, suffering from mental illness, they should have all the tools available to them. And so I think we should really look into legalizing um, psychedelics for that reason, Uh, especially when you have a homeless problem uh, as big as we do. Mm -hmm. Um, And we all know that a lot of it has to do with mental illness. So uh, I think we need to that's one of the areas where we need to look at our freedoms. And our liberties and say, hey, where are we uh, not using our freedoms and liberties to solve these problems? So, yeah, that's it's a really from my perspective, that's a that's a, um, a refreshing approach yeah. because for so long, you know, it's like I said, the voodoo mm-hmm. and people spooked by all the drugs. But it seems that the fact that they are illegal creates far more problems right. than the misuse of the drug itself. That's right. And, and I always have to kind of um, kind of come from a conservative family. So when I say these things, you know, they're kind of, you know, it. Um, oh, so you want to do this? You want to do heroin? And I'm like, no, I'm still anti drugs in the sense that I don't think it's healthy for you. I don't think my kids should be out there doing meth. Right. Um, so I, I'm still on that. But at the same time, um, I don't think it should be so criminalized, right? I, I think we need to, uh, the fact that, like you said, the fact that it's um, against the law is what's really causing the problems. Uh, and is it still going to be a problem? Will drug use, does drug use cause cause some social issues? Of course, but it's yeah. how we want to approach it. What's the best way to do it? And I don't think the current way of locking people up is the best way. You know, I've, I've often thought that, you know, when we talk about, you know, guns mm-hmm. and, and gun violence, I thought mm-hmm. one quick way mm-hmm. to reduce gun violence quickly is to legalize drugs right. because of, <laughs> of all of the gang warfare, yeah. the, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, the, the cartels yeah. that are moving the drugs. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of gun violence associated with that. Yeah, that's true. Yes, yes. That, that would. Yeah. Because nobody's really killing each other. That's a U.S. citizen for marijuana anymore. Right? Yeah. Right. Now, like there's nobody saying this is my marijuana turf yeah you know it's because it's all in dispensaries now you right. know and um um and you know and you see a lot of um and, and especially when you realize a lot of deaths uh actually occur from alcohol which yes. is illegal yeah you know so you know so inconsistency that's right you know hypocrisy perhaps exactly, right exactly yeah um you know and, and since we're on the gun you know we kind of went to the gun issue sure. a little bit my you know, I, I'm not a gun nut. I, I, you know, I always tell people I'm not, you know, I own guns, but, mm-hmm. um, and I shoot them, you know, maybe once a year, you know, I'm, uh, but I have a lot of buddies who are gun, you know, they love to go shooting there. Yeah. If you say, let's go shooting, they're going to raise their hand and they'll spend all day. Um, uh, but I, I do believe in our right to protect ourselves and our property and our loved ones. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and we do have, 
Um, we do have a, vi- a gun violence problem here. Um, it's not caused by law-abiding citizens, right. law-abiding gun owners. So um, one of the things I do um, feel about in terms of gun control is I'm, I'm a big believer because we do have a problem with straw buying of guns. What does that mean? So straw buying is basically, so like I don't have a criminal record, right? So I can go and pretty much buy as many guns as I want, especially I can go to another state many times, mm-hmm. buy as many guns as I want. And what I'll do is I'll take these guns and I'll sell them on the black market for a profit. Ah. So, so that, and so that's why like in, for example, in Chicago, uh, they have very strict gun laws, but a lot of them will go to Indiana, buy those guns. And then, so somebody like myself would go buy those guns in Indiana where they're very lax, um, buy a bun of, bunch of them and then sell them on the black market for a profit. Right. And they also do that a lot, um, going, selling them down in Mexico. So I'll buy a lot of guns here and then I'll just ship them down to Mexico for a profit because mm-hmm. they, they don't, they don't allow guns down there. So what I would recommend is for everybody to and, and this and some of my gun friends they don't agree with what I'm saying here, <laughs> but I think the best way is everybody has to register their guns, right? And I think that to prevent straw buying is every five years or whatever the the year could be is you have to go in and take them to a local police department and they have to verify you're still in possession of those firearms, and so what that's going to do is it's going to prevent you from it's going to prevent people from buying them and selling them because if you cannot show that you have those guns, then they're going to say, well, where are those guns at? And so I am, I'm a big believer in registering firearms and I'm a believer in people having to re-register them so often. Right. So, you know, so, you know, I, I'll get in arguments where, uh, you know, well, why should I have to do that? You know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I go, you know, I understand, you know, um, you don't want to be inconvenienced, but uh, I think that to prevent the straw bind, which is causing a lot of gun violence in, in the inner city and, um, and, and in other countries down south, um, then, um, then I think we need to do something about it. And we're not, I'm not infringing. I don't care if you have an AR-15. <laughs> if you want to have three AR-15s, go yeah, ahead. Right. Um, but you're just going to have to come in and just show that you have them. Right. So, As, You know, the gun topic, I... I've never really been firmly in any camp mm-hmm. because I, I understand the rationale of, of both sides. Right. And there's that place in the middle. There's a little more nuance, I think, mm-hmm. is what you're presenting. Right. And, and there's all, you know, it's reasonable, you mm-hmm. know, what people are, are, are talking about. Of course, there's people on the extremes of either side. <laughs> right, right. Right. You know, where some people want to have the police knocking down every door mm-hmm. and collecting guns. Right. And there's other people that, yeah, they want to stockpile for the next revolution. <laughs> right. Um, right. So, but I, you know, I it, I've always thought that if we're ever going to really conquer this problem, one way or the other, mm-hmm. the the Constitution needs to be amended. You know, to make it clear. You're right. Because right yeah. now it's kind of a little bit ambiguous, yeah. mostly clear, a little ambiguous, right. and then it creates the the debate. Yes, yes, yeah. And well, you know, the nice thing about the Constitution is that it allowed us. They, the, you know, they understood they didn't see all the problems down the road, so they allowed us to amend it. So, mm-hmm. And I don't think they, they – I'm assuming they didn't anticipate that we were going to have these you know, firearms that could shoot the way they could. And um, So, yeah, I, I mean – but, yes, I do think we need to um, – I, I think that the country's so divided at some point that sometimes that it's hard for us to uh, find common ground. And I think – and at the end of the day, we're going to have to accept um, some compromise where not everybody's going to agree. Hey, we're right. not going to take everybody's guns away, right. which some people are going to be, you know, they're yeah. going to be mad at. Yeah. And then there's going to be people who say, oh, I got to register my guns every so often. <laughs> I don't want to do that because right. they're going to know I have all these guns. Right. You know? well, hey, we're, but we're not going to take those guns away. You just have to, you know, follow these rules. Interesting. So, yeah. Well, I'd imagine that 
some of your competitors, maybe mostly Democrats, are probably very hardcore on gun control laws. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, yeah, some of them are actually a lot of them aren't. I'm, I'm making that assumption, but a lot of them don't really go into the issue. Um, I'm kind of I'm really the only one that I've seen that really does say, hey, this is what I want to do differently, which is the gun registration mm-hmm. the re, and, the, and the constant uh, re-registration of them. Um, you know, I, I do think that part of it is we do have a lot of military yeah. and, and they tend to be they do tend to be a little bit more pro guns. Um, and uh, I think they just don't want to. You know, make anybody mad, basically. Yeah. So, you know. so they're calculating. That's right. Right. Because right. they don't want to put the issue on the table because then they have to take a position That's and then right. they alienate. Right. But you, you know, a little bit of a presidential um, angle to this. One candidate that I, I like a good deal of his platform is Andrew Yang. Okay. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. he puts all these things on the on his platform. If right. you go to his website, it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. There's like a hundred yeah. different ideas. Yeah. You know, I mean, he takes positions yeah. on, you know, NCAA Division One athletes being paid and, <laughs> right, and on right. world wrestling, he's got a thing. I mean, which is kind of fun. Right, right. But he's not afraid to put mm-hmm. an issue on the table and take a stand. Yeah. Where a lot of the other politicians are, they're a little bit calculated. Right, right. You know, and you know, I, and I actually like Andrew. I like a lot of Andrew Yang's uh, ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's probably the smartest one up for the Democrats. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, but I find that both parties, whenever whenever they have somebody smart and intelligent, they they don't give them a lot of time. No, that, you know, on either party, it's like, hey, you're the smart guy. We don't want you to say all your ideas. You know what I mean? <laughs> we want to go with the really what they're kind of looking at. Uh, in my opinion, I, I think that they like to find the yes men or the yes women, somebody who's going to look to their party and say, hey, what do I do with this issue? And the party says, you're going to do this. This is where we stand. And then they go and they perform that, you know. Yes. Um, so and I don't think Andrew's, Andrew's really not like that. So no. um, I do. So I like that part about him. What so. do you think of um, his uh, universal basic income? So, uh, you know, when I first heard it, like universal basic income, this was even before Andrew Allen's like, no way, that's crazy. I don't believe in that. <laughs> but then once you start to look at where automation's taking us, um, you know, with uh, and, and, you know, uh, our jobs getting shipped away and Amazon and all those things that he yeah. talks about, uh, he really makes a strong case for it. He does. Um, yeah. I don't necessarily think we're there yet. And, and here, here's, you know, also, um, you know, Milton Friedman talked about it um, and, and, and in the sense of having a, a negative income tax. Yeah. Um, and uh, so there's a lot of economists that have kind of got on board with it. Um, uh, I don't think we're there yet. I think we can do a lot by pushing this green economy, mm-hmm. which is going to drive jobs, local jobs. Right. Um, and um, so, but I think it's, he's really brought the conversation because it, it may come to that, you mm-hmm. know, and, and the more that we have a logical conversation about it, the more it starts to make sense. Uh, I'm not a hundred percent against it. I just don't think we need that right now, maybe down the road, potentially. I think there's other avenues. The one thing that I would maybe, where I think he would win with the argument yeah. is, you know, when he talks about the numbers. So he basically says, hey, look, um, you know, it's going to cost us about, you know, I think it was $3 trillion roughly to give everybody $1,000 a month. Right. Um, and then he's like, well, his main argument is we spent about $1.5 on social services approximately, right? Right. 
So I would say, if I was Andrew, I would say, hey, look, you're probably going to win that argument by rather than giving a hundred or a thousand dollars a month, let's just give everybody five hundred dollars and just say, hey, we're going to eliminate welfare or social services for most people, mm-hmm. and we're just going to, and that's where the money's going to come from, right? And then everybody gets about five hundred bucks, and you know, you can use that to help, you know, spur the economy, and you know, if you live in a two, you know, two family household, um, then you know, now it's a thousand dollars a month, and uh, the one thing I do like about it. With the universal basic income, as opposed to welfare, I feel like our welfare system kind of promotes the breaking up of the family as right. opposed to bringing the family together. It's right. like, okay, if you're a single mom and you you bring your husband into it, or you know, uh, the father of the child, then we're going to ding you for that. You, you know, mm-hmm. if you get married, uh, then uh, and all of a sudden you have, but maybe you still need some financial help, um, then we're not going to allow you to be on this welfare program. So I think with universal basic income, it's like kind of gives from a financial perspective the um, the benefit of having two incomes in the home, having two people in the home, they can share the expenses. Right. Um, so that that I, I think Andrew would probably win on something more like that. Mm-hmm. So that's how probably I would approach it. It's, it's interesting too because I I I'm I'm not a fan of it. I understand the logic behind mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. but Andrew, uh, you, you brought in Milton Friedman. Yeah. I'm a big Milton Friedman fan. Yeah, yeah. And um, but his it seemed like when he proposed it, it was more of an academic exercise because right. <laughs> yeah, that was in the late '60s right. and UBI was kind of a thing mm-hmm. people were talking about. And he said, "Well, how can we?" Um, create a system and what's his model. But he, unlike Yang, Friedman said, just abolish all welfare right? and go mm-hmm. with this. Mm-hmm. Where Yang kind of has, like, you can get the welfare or the UBI, whichever is more. Right, 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 right. Okay. Yeah. Um, but um, I'm always a believe that if you give everyone a thousand bucks a month, then they're going to want 1500 a month. That, and, that, and, that's yeah. my big fear too, is yeah. that, yes. Yeah, so you, right. Cause all it is, a politician's going to come in and say, you know, you should be fighting for a thousand, not 500 or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, that, that yeah. is my biggest, that's my biggest And then biggest the politicians word. will give it away. Right. Right. And then, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. then it gets a little out of control. Yes. Yes. Um, but I do appreciate that he's innovative. Yes. You know, yeah. and, and he's trying to break out of the same talking points mm-hmm. of all the other candidates. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, you having fun? Yes, yes. So this, this is good? good? Yeah, yeah. I love these kind of conversations. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's funny because there's certain people that you come and I can talk politics and ideas all day long. And I enjoy having these conversations uh, because it's not necessarily like I want to put my views on you I, I, or anybody. I, I I enjoy being an independent because I can just listen to what you say. And if you have a better idea than me, I'm, I'm, greater, I'm great yeah. with using your idea. It doesn't have to be my idea per se. Um, and so I just enjoy these conversations and hear different views. Yeah, it's fun, yeah. isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. You know, because this is part of the reason I created the podcast yeah. because I enjoy the conversation too. And mm-hmm. especially if we're respectful of each other's mm-hmm. opinions when we disagree, we learn from each other. Yeah. Um, but this is the kind of stuff that's interesting yeah. to talk about. And I, I think that I think there's a big audience for this kind of stuff. I think people are tired of just the real quick bumper sticker, you know, um, slogan. And, yeah. uh, you know, they really kind of know, well, what's the real issue? We're like, what are like, what's, what's behind it? You know, and, uh, having conversations like this, I think, uh, promote that. I think people are craving it. Yeah. 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 Now let's just switch gears again. Sure. I want to, I'll come back to some of these hot okay. topics, but what do you do for fun? Uh, so, <laughs> so my, uh, I do a lot of different things. Um, I actually play on a men's rugby team. Wow. So I play, uh, on the old Aztecs rugby team down here in San Diego. I've been doing that for, um, so I've been playing rugby for, 
this would be my sixth season. Right on, uh, so yeah, tough so, guy. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy, you know, um, you know, I, I grew up playing football my whole life, yeah. and then, um, you know, kind of, you know, finished in high school. And an interesting story was on my way. To, so I, I got my so my girlfriend. I got my girlfriend pregnant when I was in my sophomore year of college, and wow. so I had my son um, when I was uh, between the summer of junior, my sophomore and junior year. Mm-hmm. And it was literally on my way to rugby practice. I was I was going to start playing at San Diego State. Uh, I'd gone to a few practices, and I was going to practice, and uh, that's when my girlfriend at the time, my older son's mom, was like, "Hey, I'm I'm pregnant," and. Uh, um, and that was the end of my rugby career. Yeah. And um, so, and then I was able to get back to it, you know, 15 years later. Um, and uh, once my son started going to high school and, you know, I had more time to do other stuff um, and, um, and got back into it. And yeah. so, but, uh, but I play rugby. I like to go fishing, uh, camping, mm-hmm. hanging out with my fiance. Um, I have two boys, you know, spending time with my two boys. And, um, and how old are they? So my oldest is 20 and then my youngest is 11. Okay. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's, you know, family stuff, just, uh, just typical, typical person, you know? So you, are you enjoying, you were talking about Aztecs, right? The basketball team is doing really well. Yes. Yes. So, um, yeah, they, they have an amazing program. Mm -hmm. Um, it's kind of funny. I actually saw Kawhi Leonard. Uh, we were at a restaurant in Little Italy, and he came and he ate dinner there. Um, and um, but yeah, I'm a huge fan. Of, you know, we have great players. Um, you know, the the students love the basketball team. Yeah, um, and uh, football teams do, did good. Uh, it's been doing good. And uh, you know, we're we're in an area where we can get a lot of good athletes. You know, right. who wouldn't want to go to college in San Diego? Yeah, you know. So yeah, uh, but I, I yeah, I'm proud to be an Aztec, you know, um, I always tell people I'm, I'm Aztec by blood and education. So nice. (laughs) So I'm a little different. I I, I went to UCSD. Oh, okay. Okay. okay, But the Aztecs have always been my adopted sports program. Okay. Yes. Uh, yes. But now the UCSD is going D1. Oh, okay. You know, and so now I'm going to have dual allegiances. Um, but yeah, the Aztec program is great. And we had a podcast guest here yesterday, David Leland, we were talking about it. Um, but yeah, Rocky Long might be leaving. So really? Okay. Yeah. He was actually there when I was there. Uh, I think back in 97, 98, I think he was the, I want to say he was the linebacker coach back then, but, um, I, I didn't play there, but I, I do remember the coaching staff there and, um, but yeah, he's been around forever. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a, a great special coach. guy. He's yeah. a great coach. Yeah. All right. Let's get back into the politics. Okay. This is good. Okay. <laughs> right. Um, so, um, God, we covered a lot of stuff here. Um, Oh, immigration mm-hmm. is is a hot topic here sure, in, in sure. Southern California. Yeah. What's your what's your angle on that? So you know, my my um, first of all, I I, I kind of look at it from a lot of different angles. You know, I think um, to me, a lot of the immigrants that are coming are are no different than the pilgrims who came here. Um, mm-hmm. You know, over two hundred years ago, and um, you know, so I understand where they're coming from. My my fiance. Who's a, um, who's a who's a social worker for the county um, came here originally undocumented. You know, um, she's a citizen now, but her her story was that way. You know, she was 13 years uh, undocumented. Her and um, so I, I and they never took welfare. I mean, one of the biggest things about misconception is you can't get welfare if you're here illegally. Um, you um, so they, they didn't take any of those social services. They worked hard. They contribute to society. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big believer that majority, overwhelming majority of people who come to this country are that way. 
Now, there are some bad elements that do cross over this border, and uh, we don't, you know, for our safety and uh, for everybody's safety, you know, we don't want that. And, you know, so I do believe in borders. I do believe that, um, you know, one of the things that I was talking to a Border Patrol agent the other day, he's like, one of the biggest problems I, I, I have is with the Ninth Circuit. And it's because they don't allow us to enforce some of our laws. For example, mm -hmm. I'm a big believer. If you came to this country illegally and you're breaking our laws, you need to be gone. Right. Right. You, you, if you're out here getting it, if you already know you're, you're, you shouldn't be here. Um, you, you have a DUI or you're causing violence or you're bringing drugs over. And one of the biggest problems they have is they're, um, they're, they're not even arresting them sometimes because they know they're not going to prosecute them. And so we need to, have a Ninth Circuit Court judge uh, judges that are going to enforce those type of laws that if they do come in our country and they do break our laws that they're going to get deported. Right. You know, um, so so I so I'm I'm big on that part. But if you are here illegally uh, or undocumented and um, you are here working and you're contributing and you're not breaking any of your laws, then my thing is, hey, look, let's find a path for them to stay here. Um, I'm not somebody that thinks we need to break up families. Let's, um, you know, let's make them permanent residents. Let's give them status, uh, fingerprint them, make sure that everything's good, uh, and let them contribute to our society. You know, mm -hmm. I, I'm not a big believer. You know, I don't think we need to demonize them. I don't think we need to deport them. I think we need to work with the situation we have. Um, they are valid. You know, uh, I, I've known, I know quite a few people who started out here undocumented and are contributing highly to our society. So, yeah. um, so I, um, so I think we need to find a compromise, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I think we need to work better with Mexico. You know, I think one of the things I didn't like what Trump was doing was this rhetoric of we're going to build a wall and we're going to make you pay for it. Right. <laughs> I mean, you're not going to, you know, if you, you know, if you yeah. move into a home and yeah. you tell your next door neighbor, Hey, I'm going to build this wall and you're going to pay for it. Yeah. You're not going to have the best relationship. Right. That's right. And I think there's so many opportunities that we can capitalize on with Mexico um, that that would benefit us and them. I'll give you an example. I think we can negotiate an opportunity with Mexico so that American citizens can own property in Mexico, can mm. start small business over there saying, hey, look, we're our, our um, so and here's why. An American citizen, for example, could say, hey, I have, I don't know, 80 grand or 100 grand and I want to go and. Maybe do something where, where I can do a lot more with this money, right? Which would be good for Mexico, maybe good for that middle that 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 middle class person here in this country. Yeah. And um, and and but but one of the problems is you can't own property there. You can lease it, but you can't own it. You can't own the land. And so um, I think if they if we said, hey, look, we're we're dealing with issues that that are happening on your side, of, happening in your country. They're they're overflowing to us. Um, I think we throw us a bone so that our citizens can, um, you know, help your economy, help themselves. Let's work together so that it benefits everybody. Mm. You know, I think that there's so many different ways we can work with Mexico to help our citizens, too. You know, actually, it's a, I never heard that approach, but that yeah. makes a lot of sense, mm -hmm. because if. It, like if we can help Americans buy property in Mexico, then we can maybe also you know, as a trade, right. as, as a compromise, maybe make it easier for the undocumented to become documented. Mm -hmm. But by allowing Americans to invest, let's say, in Baja, which That's is right. like a, a wonderful opportunity, mm -hmm. right. it could build the economy, mm -hmm. um, raise the standard of living for people that live in Mexico yep. so that people aren't having to come here in the first place. That's right. Right. So there's like and, – and here's the thing. It's like we have a NAFTA for big corporations, but we don't have like a NAFTA for just guys like us who just maybe want to do something small over 
over there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, um, and, and, you know, and, and I, I, I can understand if Mexico said, Hey, well, we don't want all these millionaires and billionaires coming by and all this land. Well, that's fine. Maybe you cap it at a 200,000. So a normal U.S. citizen can go over there mm-hmm. and it benefits just the average American citizen, not multinationals. Right. So, I mean, to me, these are things that, you know, I think we, we need to look at how do we help the people first and as opposed to just how do we help the corporations first and hope the corporations, you know, mm-hmm. help everybody else. So, well, what's what's your take? Like you already kind of talked a little bit about the wall, mm-hmm. um, you know, not having Mexico pay for it. Right, but right. Do you think we need a wall or well, a fence? You know, I, don't, I think we need, you know, in certain areas, yeah. we would probably do need some type of if, if the Border Patrol says, hey, you know, we could use some wall or some fencing in this area, then I think we should do it. But yeah. I think to just flat out say we're going to have this kind of uh, Berlin wall <laughs> or Great White Wall, you know, yeah. Great Wall of China type of wall. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's foolish, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, it's not going to stop uh, drugs because th- those come from tunnels primarily. Yeah. Um, it's not going to stop um, terrorists because, you know, if anything, they'll come from Canada um, and or through other legal ports mm-hmm. of entry. And, um, you know, it will. When I talked to some Border Patrol agents, they said, well, we'll stop. You know, the only thing it's, it will stop is like elderly and children because they're not going to be able to hop that wall quick enough or mm-hmm. do certain things. So, um so I, I just don't think it's going to achieve what we think it's going to achieve, you know. But in areas where we need more fencing or walling, I'm fine with that. Yeah. 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 Well, it also won't stop airplanes. And, That's right. And, and, <laughs> and so you got people with expiring visas. That's right. We, which, right. Which is a huge portion of it, right? Correct, right. Have you ever um, been down to Friendship Park? Like down in the southwest corner, San Ysidro, where the fence is that goes out into the ocean. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I haven't been there. No, no. But I've seen it. I know what you're talking about. I, I drove down there. Maybe, I don't know, must have been about a little over a year ago. That mm-hmm. was a really cool place. Really? Yeah. Because um, on the American side, it's it's very desolate. There's a little city park there, and the beach is untouched. Okay. It's beautiful. Yeah. And then there's the, the well, it's a fence, you mm-hmm. know, with those gaps. Right. And then on the other side is the bull ring, bullfighting ring. Okay. And then there's a there was a community park there. They were having a festival when I went there. Yeah. And the beach is filled with people. Wow. Yeah, yeah. On, and, and, and the fence is right there that we always see on TV. <laughs> right, right. And it was just, you know, it made you think, yeah. you know, about all the issues that are being discussed mm-hmm. and a lot of the misperceptions of what the border really is. Right. It, yeah, it, it kind of humanizes it. Yes. Yes, yes. And then, yeah. you know, they'll have, uh, you know, uh, weddings mm-hmm. and people, you know, oh, on either side oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they pass notes. And, okay. Yeah. yeah nice. So yeah. there's some cool things that happen there, yeah. too. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it does humanize it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that's how we have to look at it, too, is, hey, look, um, the, the, before, I mean, the way I view it is before I'm an American, I'm a human being, you know. And so if if I'm going to and, and, and they're they're just as much, you know, people across not just Mexico, but other parts of the world, they're just as much God's children as I am. And so, you know, we have to look at it from that perspective as well. And so, um, you know, we also have to look at things that what, what would I do you yeah. know, if I was in a certain situation and um, and and start from there. Right. You know, and once we if we can start from there, then maybe we can, you know, we can kind of come to a consensus on other things. Right. on. Uh, yeah. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about what's in the news right now. Sure. OK. So the big thing right now is Iran mm-hmm. and uh, and the, the general that was was killed. Was it Soleimani? Yeah. Yeah. Soleimani. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I always you know when I first I heard the name, get, yeah, I yes. was thinking, remember Octomom? Right. Right. She was Suleiman. <laughs> oh, OK. Yeah. <laughs> and this is Soleimani. Well, 
I'm surprised everybody hasn't come out with a meme with that with that name and Soleimani. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so, anyways, what what's your perspective on this Oof. whole situation? So, so it's uh, um, so here I'm going to talk about the short term. So, I um, I've talked to a few people in the intelligence and in, in, in the intelligence um, arena, and they were they they saw the report and there was an imminent threat. So the, there was there, a were, there was an eminent. They're threat. not telling us what it is. They're not telling us what but it there is. Was there a was an eminent threat. Okay. And the and the reason they're not telling it, they're going to come out and say what it is. Um, but the reason they're not saying what it is is because it puts certain people's lives in danger. So if they were to say, "Hey, this is what it is," the Iranians would know or have a good chance of knowing who gave us that information and, and potentially go uh-huh. after those people. So, okay. so, so the reason the president isn't saying it right now, uh, or why anybody's not. Disclosing is is to keep those people safe, right? Um, and then you know later on they will disclose that. But so there was an imminent threat, um, and uh, and these are people that you know the thing about the um, the intelligence community is they range from they're they're Republicans, they're Democrats, they're all over the place, you know, mm-hmm. and so they don't have a necessary ideology, you know, but they're good people, they care about this country, and um, now was the assassination of uh, Soleimani the right way to to stop it. That, mm-hmm. That's where you can have the debate. Right. But there definitely was a, a, an imminent threat. Um, and really what my worry is, because I do believe the Iranians are going to respond. Trump's already said, if you respond, we're going to respond. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> and then that's just going to have them respond. Yeah. So, you know, I, I at the end of the day, I don't... And like I don't 100% know exactly what that imminent threat was. If we had to 100% take him out, or if we, because if there's other options that we could have said, hey, we know about this and we can stop it other ways, we should have gone that route. Um, because this only boldens, you know, um, they're hardliners. Um, we know they're gonna they're gonna do something. And what I think, I always put myself in their situation. What would I do if I was them? Right? If I was Iran, how would I respond? So. They can't really go heads up with us per se, right? They they don't have the the firepower to do that. But they're they're most likely going to use their proxies. They're probably right now working with some of our countries that we don't get along with, seeing where they're at. With probably they're probably communicating with North Korea, Russia, China, um, and saying, hey, you know, you know what happened. Let's see what you know. Uh, we're going to respond if we can maybe work with you. And so an example would be like may, potentially North Korea might do some kind of cyber attack. Uh, and in conjunction with Iran doing something, you know, right. um, and uh, or, or one of their proxies doing something. And so I do think they're going to hit us. Um, it's probably not going to be anytime soon. I think they're going to be patient. I think that the Iranians understand that they're not necessarily at war with America. They're really more with the at war with the Trump administration. Right. And they understand that his election's coming up. And so they're going to say, hey, how can we make it so that he doesn't get elected? So, or to make it difficult for him to get reelected, mm-hmm. um, and um, and so I think they'll probably, if I had a guess, they'd probably do something maybe around summer, right, or kind of closer towards the election. Ah, that that would yeah. be that would be my guess. Um, and I, and like I said, I think they're probably going to try to work as much as they can. Not it won't be Iranian directly. It's going to be through one of their proxies and possibly with some of the other countries that are having some issues with us as well. Um, that's how I see it playing out, um, but I could be wrong. Um, now, but in, but I'm going to take a step back and say that I think that um, in talking with some of my contacts and in intelligence agencies is that you know the um, 
to them, the Iranian deal was a bad deal for a lot of them. And here's why. We got out of what we wanted, which was uh, a non-nuclear Iran, right? That was our main thing. We don't right. want that was our main stickler. Um, and but but the one thing that it didn't address was um, the the proxies that Iran has and that they work through. Um, and uh, that was kind of off the table. They 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 weren't going to negotiate that that at all. And so a lot and and there's a lot of people that felt, hey, Iran was never going to get a, a nuclear bomb anyways because Israel was not going to allow that. So that it was easy for them to give that up. So the Iranians said, hey, you know what? Let's let's give that up. Let's free up all this money. We're going to take that money. Soleimani is going to be in charge of a lot of it. And he's because he's kind of the one who who um, divvies it up to all the proxies. So we're mm-hmm. going to. Um, that's fine. We won't we won't do a nuclear bomb. We'll we'll prop up our proxies. Uh, Soleimani is going to be responsible for those funds. Um, so a lot of people felt it was a bad deal. To that that's where a lot of people feel it was a bad deal. Mm-hmm. But our main objective is not to have a nuclear Iran. <laughs> so right. um, so we were able to do that. The Iranians stuck to the deal. So they. Uh, and there wasn't a lot of one of the things I asked is like, hey, well, how was Iran towards Americans while we were living up to the deal? And then they were they were fine. They worked with us to help defeat ISIS. Um, and uh, they you know, my belief is that the more that we open them up to to the world, um, to the world economy, the more that they're going to want to play by the rules. It's going to be right. in their interest as we open up more markets to them. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I do feel that part of what emboldened Soleimani and the Iranians to start, you know, doing certain things like going after tankers in Saudi Arabia and, you know, you know, oil fields and tankers and doing certain things is because we backed out of the deal. You know, I feel like we should have just stayed in the deal, um, worked with uh, with Iran because one of the things uh, that Iran, they don't they don't like ISIS. Right, their arch enemy is ISIS. They're because and and they also blame a lot of because um, there's a big a Sunni Shiite, right? right? Mm-hmm. And they're Sunnis, and the Saudis are um, Shiite, and so um, and and ISIS is Shiite. So um, they're always going to battle with ISIS. They don't want they don't want that, and uh, they kind of blame Saudi Arabia for um, for ISIS. So. Um, I, I think we should continue. I, I, my 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 wish was that we would have just stayed in the Iran, the the, the nuclear deal, um, have a small force. It seems to me that the best way to approach this is not necessarily leaving a hundred percent Iraq, uh, because there is a, a consensus that ISIS will come back and mm-hmm. reemerge. Mm-hmm. And and, um, and I was talking to some of them, and yes, that even though Parliament said they want us to leave. They say that in public, but in private, they say they want us to stay because ah. they know they can't defeat. If ISIS pops up again, they can't defeat them by themselves and they can't defeat uh, just with the help of the Iranians. They need us there. And so in private, they're saying stay and public are saying go. So, you know, they're talking out of two mouths. Um, and, and like I said, these are, you know, credible people. And um, and so I, I think that. I wish Trump would have just stayed in the Iran deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could have worked with them. We could have had a small force there to prevent ISIS from popping up. And then eventually we can we can transition out of there. So. Yeah, that was kind of my take as well, because I always thought that the, the deal, even if it was flawed, was mm-hmm. better than no deal. Yeah. yeah. Right? And, and I think it still gave us some access to you know do inspections, whether or not you 
trusted that. Right. It was a separate issue. But it kept the dialogue going, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and, and there was an opportunity to cooperate at some level. Right. But then once you tear up the deal, right. then, you know, we, we come to, you know, the, the fists <laughs> right. come out. Right, right. Um, but, you know, it's just – it's tricky, man. I mean, you go back in history and it's not just the hostage crisis. I remember it was like in the late 80s. Didn't we like shoot down one of their passenger airliners? Right. right. So, you know, we, we've had a – and, you know, my whole thing on the Middle East, I would love for us to just get out. I mean, that should be the whole yeah. – that should be everything. Yeah. What's the – how can we just eventually get – I don't care about having influence on oil. I don't care about having influence on other countries per se. Um I do want to make sure we don't have another 9-11. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, our, our end goal should be to eventually get out of the region in, in a way that makes sense uh, and not stay there. I mean, our, our goal should say, hey, look, we're, we're, our goal is to leave. We just want to make sure everything's good so that there's not another 9-11 on us. And, um, and, and that should be the end game. You know? Yeah, well, we're in agreement there. I mean, yeah. There's a lot of people that want us to have a permanent presence there. Yeah, you know, kind of like what we have in, in Korea. Yeah, you know, Germany and Japan. And, yeah, yeah. You know, I was talking to um, one of them. I said, you know, because we we have a lot of different models to look at. We have the Germany model, the Japan model, where we stayed and you know uh, had a big presence, and we spent you know billions of dollars on that. You know, mm-hmm. do we really want to go that route? Uh, do we really want to leave and let ISIS come back and then potentially have another line 11? Or do we just want a small force? You know, they're saying anywhere from like five to 7,000 people um, just to show support and, and to have to be as a deterrence. So mm-hmm. um, and then eventually, you know, leave in a few years or something until the, until the Iraqis can basically take care of themselves. Right. Well, that yeah. should be the goal. Right. Uh, and imagine having them all as trading partners and. Mm-hmm. Win-wins, That's right? right? That's right. That would be the the, the ideal mm-hmm. world. But yeah. um, we're talking a little bit about President Trump. Um, mm-hmm. Share with me your thoughts on this whole impeachment thing. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, I, I, I'm not a Trump. I, there's a lot of things I don't like about Trump. Um, mm-hmm. But but the the bar to impeach a president is super high. And it's there for a reason. It's so yeah. that if even though you don't like him personally or you don't agree with him, you just can't remove him from office, right? He has to be mm-hmm. a imminent threat or, or doing something to this country. And so, and you have to be able to prove it, right? That That's the big thing. You have to be able, you mm-hmm. can't just say, I think he's doing this. You have to have hard facts. And, and here's the thing. I think the evidence is there to say, look, he did obviously withhold funding uh, to the Ukraine. Um, and, but he is in his right to do that. Mm-hmm. So that's not it. He can do that. You, he can withhold funding, and 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 here's the thing: he eventually gave it to them. So um, where where it's tricky is that there's we're trying to say that he held funding to um, to investigate the Bidens, right? Um, to help his reelection, right? And 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 you could say, hey, yes, he was withholding funding to um, to discuss uh, corruption with Biden, Hunter, Hunter Biden. But there is nothing on record uh, that says that he was the motive behind it was to help him in his election. So and that's mm-hmm. what we need. We need to have something that said that either a recording or a conversation or somebody that's going to come forward and said, hey, he actually said he's going to withhold funding um, unless they, hunt, they investigate Hunter Biden so that he has a better chance of winning the election against Joe Biden, who he's probably going to have to compete against. So if you don't have that specific, 
you, then they're not going to um, the, the the Republican senators are not going to um, go against them. They're not going to vote to remove him from office. But isn't when when you bring up Hunter Biden mm-hmm. immediately the word Biden pops up? It should be it's unsaid <laughs> right, that right, it's right. going to have this influence on the election. Sure. So <laughs> and yeah. So. He, <laughs> And here's my thing. He probably my my honest opinion is he was probably doing that to help him to to help his election. Mm-hmm. I, I do think that, but I can't prove it. Ah, and that's the thing. If I can't prove it, then 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 that's it. Well, at, at least there's an opportunity for voters to mm-hmm. make a choice here, right? In right. like what ten months yes, or so. That's right. And so yeah. that's where the voter will come and say, "Hey, I don't need proof." I can just impeach him through my vote, in yeah, essence. Yeah. And um, and so I do think it was an issue that it should have been brought up. I think the, um, um, you know, the, the press should have said, hey, you know, what, why are you asking about Hunter Biden and why are you mm-hmm. withholding? Because mm-hmm. you know, that's the big deal. If he would have just said, hey, yeah, let the money go, but I want to know about Hunter Biden um, and, and the corruption going on, that would have been a totally different thing. But because he decided to do it in conjunction, you know. Um, then, you know, we have all these, you know, the reasons to think that that's what he was doing it for. But he's going to be acquitted, right? Right. Yeah. 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 The, the, and, and it's going to look bad for the Democrats because yeah. they're going to say you did all this and he's still here. Yeah. I'm exonerated. Right. right. <laughs> and you're only helping him. <laughs> yeah. You know, to be honest. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of President Trump. Um but one area that I have a strong disagreement with him where I've spoken out in this podcast numerous mm-hmm. times is on the trade war. Right. You know, and the tariffs and all of that. I mean, mm-hmm. what's your perspective on that? So um, I, I think that the, the one thing I don't agree with is is how he kind of recklessly goes about it. I mm-hmm. mean, if he's going to have a, a trade war or any kind of policy, then, then um, it shouldn't be reckless, especially when you're the world power and you have a lot of – uh, you influence the world economy. You know, we should be some. We should be predictable, right? Because um, how we approach things affects the world. We, you know, so um, that would be my first thing. He's just way too unpredictable in, in these types of things. Now, that, that, that's what that's what people like about that's him. That's right. That, and some know? people would say that's great. I, I don't think, especially being the world power, I don't think that's good. Right now, should we be addressing issues with China? Um, and other countries too. Yeah. yeah, I do. You know, one of the things I don't like about some of these um, trade agreements is it takes away from American sovereignty. So where, mm-hmm. so that that whereas you know, um, and I and I don't you know the where international trade um, has benefited the United States uh, tremendously is with the corporations. So the corporations and our GDP has gone up tremendously, but it, those benefits didn't necessarily trickle down to the American worker. Mm-hmm. And and we should have been more, uh, we should have saw that coming. And so we should have took two options. Okay, if we know it's going to help the American corporations a lot, then and, and it's going to be detrimental to, to the American worker in certain areas of the country specifically, then we should take steps to take some of that wealth and to help these people if it's going to be detrimental to them, right? So we, because we, we didn't do anything about it, you know, we, um, uh, you know I'm, a, I'm a believer in unions. I, I think that um, unions are good for the American worker. We, we made unions weaker. Um, uh, we did all kinds of things to not help the American worker. Um, 
And so I, I, so now we're at a crossroads. So we're, you know, we either have to say, hey, look, we're going to help the American worker with things like healthcare and, um, you know, making college more affordable and those types of things, or we can be protectionists, right? And just say, hey, uh, we're just going to do everything American made, you know, um, and which I don't think is necessarily the, the, the route to go either. Um, I think we need to trade with countries that have similar standards to us, you know, mm-hmm. uh, both environmental um, and, and how they treat their workers, because it's unfair of because basically what you're doing is uh, we're not going to be able to compete. Right. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, I do believe in trade, but it's got to be fair. And, um, you know, and we got to we definitely need with. um with China, you know, they're definitely stealing our intellectual property. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're a rising power. Um, and, uh, you know, other countries are looking to them for influence, which is fine, you know, and they're looking at their model, mm-hmm. um, which their business model is different from ours. You know, we just have to accept that they're not going to be like us, you know, they're, they're, they're fine with their government being involved in their businesses and their personal lives. And, you know, we don't, we're not going to be that way. You know, right. we're, we're, that's not who we are. And we should just focus more on being the best versions of Americans we can be. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's going to win the trade war long-term. Um, I'm, I, I think that, but to kind of go back to your questions in terms of tariffs and things like that, um, I think it needs to be less, um, you know, if we are going to put tariffs, I don't think tariffs are necessarily the right way to go, but if we are going to do it, um, uh, I, I think it should be less reckless, you mm-hmm. know, and more thoughtful. And, you know, if we are going to, if we already know that China is going to tariff on this, you know, let's just say soybeans, for example, right. you know, we, if we already know they're going to do that, we should already have things in place to help our soybean farmers. And, you know, we should be more strategic, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I don't think that, um, you know, Trump's really doing that. That's my problem. Well, you think there would hopefully be other ways to manage the system because when we apply tariffs here, we're only penalizing Americans. Yeah, right. You know, right. Right. and um, and then when you create the trade war, it, mm. it damages the soybean exporter. Right. Right. Because mm. then they don't have a market. And then suddenly China is now buying from Russia and mm. now we have no customers. That's right. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, I, I'm a big believer of free trade. And, mm. and I, I would it would be nice if we can get to the point where we can sit across the table mm-hmm. and say, how can we create a win-win? Right. Yeah. If we're, I think if we're going to definitely have free trade like that, then I definitely, we need to, because like I said, the, the, the corporations are the ones who benefit the most Yeah. And, and they've consistently done that. The very wealthy have, um, the owners of these corporations have benefited the most. We need to take uh, that wealth that we get from uh, international trade and we need to help the American worker right. and the American people. So, And I think we could also coach um, the American worker on ways to transition into mm-hmm. the new economy, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. it's like that book, Who Moved My Cheese, right? right? So yeah. suddenly the world has shifted. Yeah. You know, how do you adapt to that? And, and that's hard for it people. Is. It is. You know, I, you know, for me, you know, uh, I can transition pretty easily. You know, that's just kind of my personality. But like people like my parents, you know, my, my, my dad worked for the post office, um, you know, my dad went to Vietnam, came back, got a job at the post office, stayed there for almost 40 years, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and um, that, that's just that generation. And my mom was a nurse. She worked for the county for a long time, then worked for Kaiser. And that's pretty much it, you know. Yeah. And so, so, yeah, we need to help people and help them transition and, you know. 
I'm all for that kind of stuff. Well, that goes back to what you talked about with education and mm-hmm. trade, uh, you know, teaching trades. And mm-hmm. there's a lot that we need to do. Right. Yeah. Okay. We could probably go for hours on that one. <laughs> right. I want to talk about um, just a couple more things. Sure. Let's talk about just fiscal issues, mm-hmm. tax, deficits, sure. national debt. What's your perspective there? So I, I do think we need to start reining in the debt. Um, I, you know, the thing on, in terms of the, the tax, you know, and I do think there's a... Um, there's a wealth gap, a huge wealth gap. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we tend to have a lot of problems when you look in our history. When we have these huge wealth gaps, there tends to be a lot of uh, instability, political instability, and causes a lot of problems. We need to we need to shorten that wealth gap. And so how do we – so the question then becomes how do we tax the very wealthy? You know, I don't – the problem is like when you come up with these, oh, let's income ta- – let's create this income tax. That tax is a more wealth – they're not necessarily getting their money from income, from income, right? It's a lot of capital gains. It's right. a lot of others. So if we're going to go after, uh, that's why I don't, uh, you know, uh, an increase in income tax to me isn't going to have a huge benefit. Um, I would be, I would be more interested in maybe if uh, increasing capital gains. Um, I'm also a big believer in maybe looking into more of a land value tax rather than a property tax. And a lot of people don't talk about that. Yeah, explain that. So. Right now, we have a property tax system where, you know, I'll just give a, like an example. Let's just say the the land you live on is worth two hundred thousand, and the house on top of it is worth three hundred. So we pay property tax on the total amount, which is five hundred thousand, right? Mm-hmm. And w- what happens is if if that homeowner decides to increase the value of their home, let's say that you know they put a new roof, they they, they decide to improve the property, right, and it goes to six hundred thousand. Well, on our current property tax system, you're actually going to get penalized for doing that. You're going to pay a higher tax for doing that, right? That's right. So, um, so what if you move towards more of a land value tax, where you we're just going to tax not the value of the property, but just the value of the land? Um, so, um, what that does is it incentivizes you uh, to increase, or, or it incentivizes you to, um, you know, make your property better. You know, mm-hmm. um, however you want, you're, you're not going to be penalized for doing that. And it actually is going to d- disincentivize because whose property value is going to go up more or whose, pro- or whose taxes are going to go up more are the people who just sit on empty land. So I'll give you an example. So in that type of system, the person who just sits on just land, mm-hmm. they're going to see their property taxes actually go up. So what it does is it puts them in a, a situation to uh, they either have to build more homes Right. Build a business or grow something on. They're going to have to do something with that property. And and by doing, you're going to create housing. You're going to create jobs. You're going to create all these different things. So by um, creating more of a land value tax, I think we're going to have a lot more builders and a lot more owners of land. Even driving up here, I see a lot of land. And there's people who um, – and yet we're in a housing crisis because yeah. we don't have enough homes. So how do we motivate people to build on these properties? Well, let's do a land value tax. Let's penalize it. Let's basically, in essence, penalize them for just sitting on dead land. Let's force them to build something. Mm-hmm. And so it would actually be really good for um, like apartment builders uh, because we're not necessarily taxing them on, on how many um, apartments they have. Uh, we're just taxing them on the amount of land they have. Um, you'll, you'll see better use of that land. So you won't have, for example, just a, a, a shopping mall with a bunch of um, – uh, parking spots, they're going to they're gonna use it to the best of its uh, advantage. So uh, you might see condos on top of that, uh, of that shopping place. Um, 
and so, yeah, I think a, a land value tax is a, is a better something that's easy to transition to that's going to promote um, um, more buildings. So the devil's advocate to that okay. are the environmentalists that don't sure. want you to touch the land. Save the land. <laughs> so, and, 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 you know, you're, you're talking to somebody who is an environmental. I, I love the environment. I'm all about that. Well, and you're a solar guy. That's you're right, green, right. green technology. <laughs> right. yeah. Um, and, yeah, are there places that we may not want, you know, national parks and mm-hmm. those types of things? Yeah, of course. Um, if there's going to be certain pollution in our waterways and things, yes, of course. But um, really what we're talking about is, hey um, – Here's buildable land. We need to build on it. We need to, mm-hmm. and and, I, and and one of the reasons this is never really brought up anywhere. The when I talk to people about, hey, have you heard of a land value tax as opposed to the property tax system? They're like, I've never heard about yeah, it. Yeah. One of the reasons is that the people who traditionally can sit on a lot of land are very wealthy people. That's right. Right. Um, and so those, once again, the very wealthy do not want their politicians to talk about a land value tax, because that would increase their uh their 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 property their the right. tax on their their yes. land so um so i think it's um a conversation that I like to start. I almost feel like when Andrew Yang talks about basic income, yeah. I'm like the land value tax guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I think that's one way that we can um, we can um, um, you know create more tax revenue. Um, I think that when it comes to the uh, corporations, you know, with Trump's new tax plan, for example, um, to me the biggest issue wasn't the tax rates. Um, I would actually like to see it more on a a scale basis, you know, so like, for example, as a, uh, as a C corp, you're paying, I want to say it was 21%. It's like a flat. Right. Well, I would like to see it for maybe a small corporation, maybe under a million dollars, the small business owner, let's make it 10%. And right. then, you know, that way we're, and set, we're helping that person more. And then, you know, as it, as it goes up for those bigger companies, they pay a bigger share. But one of the problems is we still have the loopholes that allow companies to hide money, um, Offshore, whether it's in the right. Bahamas and things like that, mm-hmm. and we didn't attack the loopholes that that are there, and so I think we need to make sure that hey, if uh, and these are simple fixes. I mean, we could easily say to banks uh, that are in the Bahamas or uh, are in um, Switzerland and all these other countries, say, hey, look, if you don't agree or abide by our banking standards and our transparency laws, then we're not going to do banking with you. And so that's going to force them mm-hmm. to go, okay, we're going to have to disclose who's hiding all this money where. Right. Right. And, um, and so, you know, we need, uh, you know, we need to do that. It's the loopholes, in my opinion, that are really preventing us from getting all this tax revenue. Right. Yeah. So. Um, well, you said you, you, you want to, you know, start to rein in the debt. Yes. So what about on the other side of the ledger? Are there uh, spending issues? Yeah. How would you address some of that? So I, I think one of the things, so, um, I think we need to look at things like, for example, um, I think we can we can rein in spending on the military, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think we can rein in spending almost everywhere across the board and say, hey, look, um, for example, higher education. Mm-hmm. Well, if, if we're talking about let's make college a three-year rather than a four-year, right. that's a simple fix to say, hey, look, we're going to slash the budget because you don't need that much anymore. Um, ah, you know, okay. This is outside-the-box thinking. Right, right. So, yeah. you know, or if uh, if we're going to start ending, you know, things like the drug war and different things, and, um, then we're not going to need so much money for that. You know, we're not um, – so we need to look for ways to say we don't that we're going to cut everywhere. I, in my opinion, I think we we have we have enough room 
um, and enough of a budget where we can pretty much cut everywhere and we'd be fine. And and then just maybe leave the budget at, for example, the budget, I think our, what we bring in is about three and a half, a little bit over three and a half trillion dollars in tax revenue every year from, from the federal government stand. Let's just put our budget at that and leave it at that until, and then anything, if we bring in more tax revenue the following year, let's is do it towards the debt and paying off the debt, mm. you know, and reining and reining that in because eventually the problem with too much debt is inflation. That's right. the long term. That's the that's the real big issue is, is mm-hmm. inflation, um, and so we we need to start addressing the the, the national debt before it gets too crazy. So, right. uh, but I, I'm a big believer we can pretty much cut everywhere. Um, I, I think we can hold the budget down, and we need to look for ways to start cost savings. Mm-hmm. You know, so. And if we are going to invest, let's look at ways. If we are going to put money somewhere, how, how is that going to come back to us, either in savings or as an investment? That's how we have to start looking at it. Like, we're going to give you $100 million, How are we going to make that back somewhere else? Yeah, because a lot of times when they say we're going to invest in the economy, right. it's just a giveaway. That's right. You know, it's a subsidy and a gift mm-hmm. rather than what's our return on the investment. Right. Yeah, right yeah, on. Right. I, I like I like that approach of – how do we change policy and our perspective around education, the drug war, to then no longer have a need to spend all that? That's right. right. It's an interesting approach. Yeah. Um, you were talking earlier about um, land value tax and, and encouraging vacant lots to develop. Mm-hmm. That gets us into this whole housing crisis, mm-hmm. the affordability of housing. Um, how would you solve that if you had a magic wand? Right. So I, I think the land value tax would probably be my first thing. Mm-hmm. Um and then I think we need to talk, well, wages is a big issue. So, for example, if I'm paying, let's say I'm paying two grand on a, uh, that's my rent, for example, and I make three grand. Well, if I can take my wages from three grand to six grand, then all of a sudden it's not that unaffordable, right? So, it, it's hard to control what the rent's going to be. Mm-hmm. But the one thing we can do is we can uh, help increase wages, right? Okay. And and so if we're going to look at uh, how to increase wages, um, then we have to look at how do we spur the economy more. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think, and, and I, I kind of harp on this a lot, but I do think the green economies are way out of it. I think by, because um, it's just going to be a rush of, 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 of jobs. Yeah. And, um, and good paying jobs. I mean, you're, you know, electricians, plumbers, um, you know, and, and, you know, welders, all these different people who have to be involved. And, um, so anything to help the economy, uh, more work, um, more building, I think, you know, a big problem is we don't have enough homes. Right. So I think the land value tax helps with that. More competition is going to bring down the price of homes. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we have to look at it from two perspectives. How do we bring it down? And then how do we bring our wages up? Right. So, um, you know, anything to, to help job growth is going to bring our wages up. And then anything to, that's going to bring more homes is going to bring the price down and mm-hmm. it's going to make it more affordable. So um, what about the homeless? So, yeah. So here's what I would. So I, I think there's different types of there's almost like different types of homeless people. And I'll kind of elaborate on that. So. Mm-hmm. I think you have those people that we can all kind of understand. Maybe just maybe they don't have family. They fell on hard times, and and they want to work. You know, um, uh, they're willing to work or they're willing to do something. They just need short term assistance, right? Um, and there's actually a lot of um, services for those people. Um, but there's what we have is we have a problem with chronic homelessness. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, unfortunately, I think. We're kind of somewhat, um, 
helping these people stay chronic homeless sometimes because we're we're basically because they, they, these are people who don't necessarily want to get off drugs. They may say, but their actions are not <laughs> right. They're not trying to get off yeah, drugs, yeah, yeah. right? Um, if they can kind of stay, um, uh, we can help them maintain their drug habit. Then they're going to stay that way, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for a lot of times, and 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 my thing, I I believe we should try to um, help, continue to help those people who want to help themselves, those people who. Are uh, almost homeless. You know, not, we don't want them to make the crossover into the chronic homeless, but mm-hmm. continue to help as much there. But those people who are already chronic homeless, drug drug addicts, um, I think honestly, what I think we need to do is, and, and if you talk to a homeless person who's a drug addict, they'll say that really the only time they will change is when they hit rock bottom. Mm-hmm. And so, what we should do is say, hey, how quick can we, in essence, help you hit rock bottom? <laughs> That, that, that is my, you know, and, and because I think some of these programs get in the way of helping them hit rock bottom. Yeah, you're right. You know, um, and, and so if we were going to look at it from a, a cost effective way. Yeah. Because I, I'm not, I, I, it, it's, it's crazy that we allow people to set up a tent on a sidewalk, 30, 50 tents, mm-hmm. sit there, do their drugs, do whatever. Mm-hmm. And I can't walk down the street. That's crazy. We should not allow that. Right. But at the same time, do they need a place to sleep? Yes. Okay. Well, hey, there's a lot of land 20 minutes east of San Diego, right? Um, We'll let them camp out there. Uh, We can set up an area where it's – there's services out there, maybe in a um, – in a um, – I forgot what you call those things, but like – Kind of like a, a double wide uh, type of situation okay. where, um, like a mobile home park, a mobile home, right, right, and a RV, um, RV, right, mm-hmm. and um, and and allow them to um, to go out there or, or utilize that land where they can stay out there, and uh, because I, I don't think that we should have areas where they should be able to sleep on on you know on the streets. I think we should move them uh, somewhere where they can get help. Uh, doesn't have to be super expensive, right, right. Um, and uh, let them either get off the drugs, don't allow drugs in that area, however you want to do it, um, and then um, you know offer them assistance. But the problem is, I think that we're we're aiding and abetting them to be chronic drug users, and they're just not mm-hmm. wanting to come off of it. And so, my thing is, let's find a cheap place to where we can move them out over there. Um, let we'll, we'll deal with them over there and uh, provide services services for them there. If we can involve family to help them, we'll do that. Um, but you can't be sleeping on the streets. Yeah. And just pitching a tent. That's we have to draw a line where we say that's not accepted where that's not acceptable. Um, and um, we have somewhere else where you can go and sleep. It's, it's a tricky situation yeah. because I think people like you say, I, I'm I'm an American, but I'm a human first. Mm-hmm. You said that earlier. People as humans, they want to help them. Right. They don't want to see people suffer. But at the same time, they want people to help themselves. That's right. And, and, and here, you know, it's funny because I um, when I tell people about that, at first they're like, "What do you, you mean you want to have them go camp out somewhere out there? I said, what's the difference between having them camp here and having them camp there? You know, the difference is, is I can now walk down the street. These businesses can now operate and run and how they normally can. And mm-hmm. um, and I'm, I'm not saying he, that that person can't camp and do their – but they need. We need to be able to say you can. There's somewhere else you can do that, um, and not here. Right. You know? And if you want help, there's help. Um, but we can't force you. You're gonna once you hit rock bottom and you're ready, we'll be here for you. Sure. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So um, 
getting near the end here. <laughs> it's okay. But I, I have a fun question. <laughs> sure. So you're out on the campaign trail. Right. So you're probably meeting all kinds of people yeah. and, and learning new things. Yeah. I mean, share some stories of the situations you've encountered on the campaign trail. Um, you meet a lot of interesting people who also, I think um, part of my, obviously as an independent is uh, I'm a... Uh, I talk a lot about the problems of the two-party system. Yeah. And the more that I start to talk about it, the more people go, yeah, you know what? You're right. I've yeah. been kind of thinking the same thing. Yeah. And um, so I, I, and then you start to, you start to um, realize that people just have, you know, they, they, a lot of the same people want the exact same thing, you know, and, and they're willing to not get perfect legislation that has a hundred percent of what they want. But if it's, 80% of what they want, they're okay. They they want progress. And not necessarily perfection, but mm-hmm. they want progress. And, um, yeah, I mean, I've met a lot of interesting people, you know, uh, young people, older people. Um, but I think just the consensus is people are starting to get fed up with the two-party system. Yeah. You know, and um, – they're uh, they're excited that there's a, a new voice out. That's good. Yeah, and yeah. And I, I'm I, like I said, I love the fact you're independent. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that is going to be a challenge for mm-hmm. you is that they have the whole party infrastructure that's you know mm-hmm. door hanging and you know all the things that they do. So here, here's a funny and it's kind of a, a story on everything is yes. Yeah, so even knowing how to get started as an independent, that's. That is in itself is a challenge, you know, yeah. uh, you don't have anybody to go to. And so one of the funny things is, is that when I, when I had to do my paperwork, um, we, uh, we, we, you know, you have to get signatures. Uh, we you had, you had to get any, uh, at least 40 signatures, um, from registered voters in your district. Right. Okay. And they give you a sheet of 60. So just in case, because some of those people that you sign, um, maybe live in your district, but they're registered somewhere else. You mm-hmm. know, they never they never brought it over or they live on the border of your district and they're tech, they're just one street away, yeah, right? Yeah. Cuz they they verify everything. And um when they called me up to uh, a week later to say about the paperwork, they're like, "Yeah, you had I had gotten 55 signatures and they said you got exactly 40 legitimate accurate signatures. If you would have had 39, you wouldn't have been on the ballot." Whoa. Right. So I, I exactly made it on the ballot perfectly. I got lucky. Um, and, um, but yeah, it's just things like that, that you kind of, you know, you learn on the process, you, mm-hmm. you, you know, the, the, the funding, you know, pretty yeah. much my campaign is all self-funded. Um, Bravo. Yeah. And so I'll, I'll be doing a, kicking off some fundraising, but these are small fundraisers, you know, people yeah. that are going to give 20, 30 bucks or something, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, but it's pretty much fu- self-funded and, um, you know, learning how to do that, how much this is. And, um, yeah, it is a challenge, but at the same time, I'm not beholden to anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I have the freedom to, um, share my own ideas, uh, take new ideas yeah. and learn from other people. And, uh, you know, and that's, I don't have all the answers, but if I can get in front of people who do or have good answers and, um, I'm more than happy to use them. So to me, that's, what's so great about your campaign is that you're, you're approachable. You're willing to look outside the box. Mm-hmm. You're not stuck in that same party dogma right. where they always say the same things over yep. and over again. Yeah. Hey, have you um, what have you heard about instant runoff voting? Instant runoff voting? No. So it's where you can stack rank you know, the candidates. Oh, oh rank? Yeah, yes, rank yeah. trust voting. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, 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 yeah. yes, yes. I mean, th- that would be awesome. I yes, mean, for, so, especially for you. Yeah, there's actually. Um, 
at USD. Uh, it's in my calendar, which I don't have right now. But uh, there actually have there's a there's what's called the Independent Voter Project. It's actually based out of San Diego, mm-hmm. and uh, they're having an event. Uh, it's on Facebook either this week or next week, and they're talking about ranked choice voting, which um, I think would be great. Yeah, uh, and it's in one of the um, Maine is one of the states that also. Um, um, inputted it or, mm-hmm. or implemented it, I mm-hmm. should say, and and they actually have an independent senator. There's only like two. There's the one from Michigan, and then there's uh, yeah. and the, there's this gentleman. And um, so yeah, I think ranked choice choice voting voting is the way to go. It's a way for us to have independent voices. It's for us to have yeah. a government that represents the people. Because often people will vote for the lesser of evil, mm-hmm. right? They say, I want to keep the really evil guy out. That's right. So I'm going to vote for this less evil. <laughs> yeah. When there's people might say, there's an independent candidate I really like. Right. But they might be saying, well, does he have a chance? Right. You know, and it eliminates all this wasted vote fallacy. That's right. Um, I think it would be a huge transformative healthy process to our system. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's funny because the lesser of two evils is still evil. Yes. You know, and, people yes. Don't, and, and the, what, one of the things that the Republicans and Democrats have really done really good is they've made people feel like they're wasting their vote. And, uh, if they go independent and it was funny, Jesse Ventura, when, you know, cause he was an independent yeah. and, and uh, he said, no, you're wasting your vote if you vote for them. Yes. You know, yes, and, yes. And, and really they're the spoiler votes, you know? Yeah. Um, so people need to kind of, you know, take, you know, take, you know, take a step back and look at things differently and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and realize that you're not wasting your vote. Who you want to vote for is who you want to vote for. So um, I think ranked choice voting will help with that. Absolutely. But even without that, I think people need to kind of wake up and see that there's alternatives and, yeah. um, and really the, 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 you know, there's some good Democrats and good Republicans. I'm not saying they're all bad, but the system is is what's not working for us. Yeah. yeah. It's dysfunctional. It is. Um, but, you know, it's funny because a lot of people will vote for that party, that candidate, because they ideologically, philosophically believe in that. Mm-hmm. But then they end up getting the opposite. Mm-hmm. You know, the policies that actually get implemented are, are counter. Right. Um, so uh, it's nuts. Yeah. Um, so uh, you're going to be on the ballot. Is going to be in March or March November? 3rd. March 3rd. Okay. So March 3rd is our primary. So... Um, you know, everybody can vote in California in the in the March third primary. So even if you're Republican, you can vote for whoever you want uh, or Democrat. However, uh, the presidential um, um, candidacy is a little different. So if you're an independent voter, actually today's the deadline. Um, there's a specific kind of ballot you have to request yeah. um, to vote for because the Democratic Party. Uh, and some other parties are allowing for independents to vote in their uh, election in November. But but for the primary, March 3rd, um, you know, the the top two candidates uh, mm-hmm. will move on to the general election in November. And, um, you know, hopefully I'm one of those two. I think so. I, I'm looking forward to this. Well, you got a lot that. to offer. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. So um, so how can people contact you? So, so um, they can go on my website. It's Fernando Garcia for Congress dot com. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can also go on Facebook um, and for, for uh, Fernando Garcia for Congress. Um, and I am on I'm on Twitter. I'm not very active on Twitter, but I'm on Twitter at uh, FG for Congress. And, um, you know, they can check me out that way. Right on. Yeah. Okay, so the 53rd district is right there, kind of in the center of San Diego. Yep. Um, 
and it's, it 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 goes down a little bit like Florida. Yes, yes, down to like, yep. down to the eastern parts of Chula Vista. Yep. Um, but it, it's, it's like La Mesa in, in yeah, La Mesa, district? Spring Valley, um, most of El Cajon, all of College Area, uh, Hillcrest, North Park, uh, Mission Valley, uh, South Park, Golden Hills, Old Town, um, you know, and then Benita. Benita. Yeah. So all of that is uh, in my That's district. That's a good group. Yeah, yeah. That'd right. be a great group to represent in Congress. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. You know? So, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of students, obviously, in the San Diego State area. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, a lot of military as well. Um, uh, people from all walks of life, and um, so I'm. And what's crazy about I'm one. There are actually people running in my district who don't even live in the district. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which is kind of a, a crazy thing that I learned running for Congress is you don't actually have to live in your district to run in your district. Well, that's what's what's going on in Duncan Hunter's district, right? <laughs> right, right. It's, it's like Carl DeMaio lives up here in Rancho Bernardo, <laughs> right? And then right. with the other guy, uh, um, who's the auto guy? Uh, Isa, yeah, 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 he yeah, lives yeah. in Vista, doesn't right, he? Right, right. And he's running in East County. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. Yep. So I, there's so there's 15 of you. So yep. like a couple of them don't even live in yeah. there. In so, your district. Yeah. Actually, one of the it's funny because <laughs> uh, one of the leaders, her name's uh, Georgette Gomez. Yeah. Um, she um, she's a city council member, and she's actually my um, fiance's parents' next door neighbor. Oh wow! Right. Okay. <laughs> so I actually see them. Yeah. You know, and. Um, but they're not in my district. They can't even vote for me. So, but yet she doesn't live in the district and is running in my district. So, and she's the Democratic endorsed candidate. That's right. And she doesn't live in the district. Oh, unbelievable! Right, right. <laughs> so, um, you know, who the, who's the guy that um, he he he's also running in the fiftieth, okay. but he lives in the district, and it's um, hmm. he was from Santee. I can't remember his name, but he was trolling oh, okay. um, both uh, DeMaio and Isa. Yeah, yeah. You know, basically making fun of them that they didn't live in the district. <laughs> right, right. And it was great. Yeah, yeah. And it got him a little bit of attention. Yeah. Um, God, why is his name escaping me? He was like a city council guy in Santee, and then he was in the assembly. And um, But yeah, that's just, to me, that's just that's wrong. Great. Right, right. That you, you, you have to live in the area of the people you represent. Absolutely. Imagine if, um, you know, our... S- Senator from California lived in Texas. Right, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> so it just you know, and the, and those are things I did not know until I started to run, which yeah. is crazy. Uh, I just assumed you had to. And you live in Golden Hill. I live in Golden Hills. I live right in uh, right in my district. So you're so, too legit to quit. Uh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so I I know what's going on in my district. I see my the people in my district all the time. So and yeah. they're, they're a great group, uh, great group of people. So yeah, right on. Yeah. So what's uh, the next thing on your schedule? So uh, my next big one, um, you know, we're, we do a lot of little things. Um, you know, go to different meetings and stuff. But the next big one is. Um, Sunday, January 25th, I believe there's a, a big uh, debate in Chula Vista at the Chula Vista Library. It's a Saturday evening. Mm-hmm. Um, not all the can- I, all the candidates were invited, but I don't know why all of them are not attending. At least, yeah. Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. So mm-hmm. There's about nine of them that will be there. And um, so I will be there and... Um, I believe that predominantly everybody else is Democrat that's being there. I, don't, I didn't see any of the Republicans on it. I don't know why. But... Um, that's going to be a, a, an opportunity for me to, you know, say what I have to say. So are you working and campaigning? Yes, you yes, probably have yes. very little so, time. Exactly. Just... So it's very, you know, uh, I utilize social media a lot. Mm-hmm. So um, the, I, I do that a lot. And um, but, yeah, it's very busy, you know, and uh, 
Yeah, I got my business that I'm running and got my campaign I'm running. I got a few volunteers. Um, my fiance has been amazing. She helps me tremendously. She's mm-hmm. kind of uh, my uh, uh, promotional chair, I guess you could say. And, nice. Uh, so, um, but, uh, but yeah, just a lot of people pitching in, you know, pro, pro bono, uh, whether it's doing my website or taking photos. And um, that's it. Well, Fernando Garcia, man. Yes, yes. Thanks for joining me. Well, hey, thank you for having me. Yeah. I appreciate Good it so much. Good luck to you on the campaign trail. Thank you so I think much. you got a lot to offer. Yeah, thank you. And I love that you're an independent. Yes, yes. All right. Always. All right. All right. Congrats. Thank Good you. luck to you. Thank you very much. Thank you.